Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. We are so thankful that you're here this morning to worship with us. Over the past month, we have been in a sermon series entitled Good News, where we have been reminded of the good news of Christ, that Christ came to make a way for us to be saved. And today we come to our final message in that series of good news. Uh, Of course, we've been reminded over the past month that this year has been a challenging year and a difficult year at just about every turn uh, we have faced. Uh, Truth is, is that this year have been faced with all sorts of circumstances and uncertainty. And so we've ended the year with kind of the upbeat note of the fact that the good news of the gospel hasn't changed. The fact is, is that the good news of Christ coming into this world, nothing can change that good news. Uh, No pandemic can take it away. No economic uncertainty can cheapen its value. Uh, No issues that we face in the world uh, can take that away. Nothing in this cancel culture can cancel the truth of the good news that Christ has come to be the savior of the world. And so today we look at Luke chapter two and our final message in this series of good news. So if you have your Bibles there, I wanna ask you to take them and open them with me as we look at good news of a mission. Over the last month, as we've had these images above my head, I've had probably a dozen or more people come up to me trying to figure out what in the world this arrow looking thing could mean where it's pointing in a bunch of different directions. And in fact, someone said to me two weeks ago, I don't know what it stands for, but it looks like people are going all over the place. And I said, well, come back in a few weeks and you'll hear that's exactly right. God has a calling for us to go all over the place. But with that, there's a purpose that we have in our mission. The good news of a mission, to put it simply, is this. The good news of a savior was never meant merely to be embraced and experienced personally, and that's it. The good news of a mission, the good news of Jesus being born of a virgin and laid in the manger, the good news of God sending a savior into the world was not merely so that he would be ooed and awed over as a baby, but that you and I would receive that message by faith and then take that message literally to the ends of the earth. We see that loud and clear in Luke chapter two at two very uncommon and unlikely characters. In fact, if you consider the Christmas scene, if you will, in the context of Jesus being born, the two most unlikely characters are the ones that we'll read about today. Now, these characters don't have any Christmas songs that are sung about them every year. They are not depicted on any Christmas cards that you're gonna be giving to a friend. Uh, They're not even in your nativity scene that you would set on the countertop there at your house. They're uncommon, they seem to be insignificant, but God had a very specific plan and purpose for them. And in their actions, they demonstrate to us today what we are to do with the good news of Christ that we have received. They're a man by the name of Simeon and a lady by the name of Anna. And God has much to reveal in our lives through them this morning. Luke chapter two, if you're physically able to do so, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? We're gonna begin in verse 21 and then read down to the end of verse 38. The Bible says this. And when eight days had passed, before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. 
And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, Simeon took Jesus into his arms and blessed God and said, now listen to his message, verses 29 through 32. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. His father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. And I thank you for the time that you have ordained that we would be here in this place to hear your word. And we thank you for the freedom that we have to read it today. God, I pray today that we would not just read it, but I pray that we would receive it. God, in our hearts and our minds and our very lives, would your word take deep root in us and bring about transformation and bring about the fruit that you desire in our lives today. And we will praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. you. may be seated this morning. Good news of a mission. I wonder this morning as we begin the message today, just a simple question, and that is this. Have you ever received good news? Have you ever received good news? And, and then beyond that, have you ever received good news that you had to wait before experiencing? I don't know about you, but I love getting good news. I like it when someone tells me something exciting or something good, something joyous. But it's a little more challenging at times when I'm told the good news, but then I'm also told you have to wait until you experience it. I remember being a little kid. I was probably nine or 10 years old, experiencing this in a very real way. I, I, had, I had had a, an opportunity to drink an orange Sunkist. I don't know if you'd like orange soda or not, but when I was a kid, the more sugar, the better. And so I remember drinking an orange Sunkist. And I remember specifically that there was an advertisement on the outside that so many people who drank Sunkist would win a prize. And I remember opening that Sunkist bottle. And I remember seeing on the bottom of that cap that I I had won a major award, okay? And so I remember opening that cap and I was so excited. And the way it worked back then is you had to get an envelope, you had to write an address, you had to put it, lick a stamp and put it on the envelope, you know, back in the olden days. And, and I put that cap in that envelope and sent it off. And I waited for what felt like an eternity. 
Finally, a few months later, I got a letter in the mail. And I was excited because I thought this was going to be the prize. But the letter just said, we are sending this to verify you will receive a reward from Sunkist. And so I remember being a kid thinking like, is this ever going to happen? It took almost four more months. And finally, my major award came in the mail. And I remember ripping that big envelope open and I pulled out a sun-kissed hand towel and a cheap little baseball cap, okay? That's what I won as my major award. But I remember that moment because I won something and I remember having to wait what felt like an eternity before I experienced it. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that God in his time and God according to his plan was working in his people and working among his people to do something. But just like you and I, the people had gotten frustrated with God's plan. God wasn't working in the timing in which they wanted. God wasn't working in the way in which they wanted. God had promised for literally over a thousand years, he was gonna send the Messiah. He was gonna send his savior. He was going to send his child to make a way for mankind to be saved. But God wasn't working in their timing or in their way. The people became impatient with God. The people got frustrated with God. They didn't want to wait. And in the midst of not wanting to wait, they got frustrated and they got bitter and they began turning to their own selves and forgetting why they were waiting. They kind of remind me of the little boy one day that was at the mall and he was looking at the escalator there in the mall with great amazement. And so he began to do some things like only a little boy can do in their free time. And and finally he sat there at that escalator watching it and watching it and waiting for what felt like forever for that little boy. And the longer he waited, the more disgusted he got and the more frustrated he got. And finally, one of the employees at the mall saw him. And so she came over seeing his frustration. She said, son, are you lost? Are you lost? He said, no, ma'am, I'm just waiting for my chewing gum to come back and it's taken too long. The fact of the matter is when God doesn't work in our time and things take too long, we often get frustrated and lose hope. The Bible says in Proverbs 13 verse 12 that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you have longed for something. Maybe you have prayed for something, but it just seemed to take too long to happen. Maybe God didn't restore the marriage the way that you prayed. Maybe God didn't bring back that long lost loved one like you anticipated. Maybe you grieve over that degree that never was completed. That job promotion at work that just seems completely out of reach now at this point. And the fact of the matter is when God doesn't work in the way that we want or the way that we think, we often get frustrated, we get hurt, and we begin to turn into ourselves. We begin to turn inward. Well, I believe that's what's happening amongst the Jewish people. For over 400 years, God had not given a fresh word. And so the people began to live however they wanted to. If God's not gonna work, I'm gonna do whatever I want. And so they hardened their hearts and they began to live for themselves. But in the midst of that culture, the Bible introduces us here in Luke chapter two to a man, frankly, he was not giving in to the compromises of the world. He was not affected by the hopelessness and the despair that he saw around him. The many people who were impatient towards God, this was not him at all. The Bible tells us his name was Simeon and the Bible tells us several things about him. First, it says that he was righteous and devout. To say that he was righteous simply means that he lived for God. This man sought to honor God more than going his way, more than being impatient, more than questioning God's plan. He looked to God and he trusted God. He was a righteous man and he was devout. It means that he was faithful faithful, consistently, day in, day out, week in, week out, season after season, he's looking to God and he's living for him. 
Not only was he a righteous man, but the Bible says he was a man of great faith. Hebrews chapter 11 says it this way. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's interesting. What's Simeon looking for? The Bible says he's looking for the consolation of Israel. It's like Simeon's looking at the brokenness of the world. And even though so many people are rejecting God and so many people are dismissing God and so many people are not looking for the promises of God, Simeon knew the promises of God. He believed the promises of God. And I believe day after day, he's going into the temple, watching and looking and longing for when the savior of the world would come. But third, the Bible tells us about him that Simeon had a close relationship with God. How do we know that? We know that because of what God revealed to Simeon. I wanna remind us this morning that God reveals his plans and his secrets to those who follow him. Sometimes people say, I just wanna know God's plan. I wish I knew what God wanted me to do. Then here's what you do. Grow near to God in a close relationship with him and God will lead you according to his plans and purposes. Listen to Psalm 25. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Listen to what God will do. He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret of the Lord, listen to that statement. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him and he will make them to know his covenant. Do you remember being a child when kids would start to tell secrets to each other and you were on the outside looking in, you wanted to know what that secret was. Anybody remember being there? It might've been a long time ago, but when secrets are being told, you wanna be aware of what's going on. God says, the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him and he will make them to know his covenant. Listen to David's response, verse 15. David says, so my eyes are continually toward the Lord. Knowing that God reveals his plans, knowing that God reveals his purposes, knowing that God reveals his promises. David says, God, I am fixing my attention on you. The same could be said of Simeon as day by day, he's going into the temple looking for the fulfillment of God's promises. Why? Because he's a man of faith living devoutly for God, looking for the consolation of Israel. It would have been so easy for Simeon to give up. And frankly, in our life, when God doesn't work the way that we think he should or the way that we want him to, it's easy for us to throw in the towel and give up. But Simeon chose instead to walk by faith and to trust God. He believed the promises of God and he believed that God would fulfill it. Which brings a question of examination for us today and that is this. Today in our life, do we know God's word enough to know his promises? Someone says, I don't know God's promises then that's on you. Do we know God's word enough to know his promises, first off? And secondly, do we trust his promises enough to have assurance that he'll fulfill it? Simeon knew the promises of God and he believed that God was going to fulfill his promises. And it's in that context, I want us to see this morning four things about this mission that God has called us to because they are revealed in the example and the actions of Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter two. The first thing I want you to see this morning is this, and that is the confirmation of the Savior. The confirmation of the Savior. We need to clearly state that the mission of God does not begin this morning with an imperfect man by the name of Simeon. Yes, Simeon was righteous and Simeon was devout and he was a man of faith, but Simeon was a man just like you and me. He was imperfect just like you and me. God's plan of salvation was all about the person that Simeon was waiting for. 
Truth be told, this morning, we probably would not know Simeon's name. It would not even been recorded for us if it weren't for the person that he was looking for. The Bible tells us here in verses 25 through 30 that he was looking for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. And in this moment, Simeon is about to confirm for not only Jesus' parents, but for everyone in the temple that day who the Savior of the world really is. And that's important. Just about everything that's happened so far in the Christmas story has happened in a very private and small setting. For example, the angel spoke to Mary in private. When Mary went to visit Elizabeth, Elizabeth and Mary in that small setting, Elizabeth confirmed the identity of the child in Mary's womb. The angel spoke to Joseph in private. Joseph and Mary made their way to Bethlehem without any fanfare, without any crowd with them. They privately went to Bethlehem. Even when Jesus was born, the shepherds on a hillside came and they found Jesus and they worshiped him. They left and told people, but the news had not yet made it to Jerusalem. What I'm saying is that most everything up to this point has happened in a private, small setting. But now on this day, as Jesus is being brought as a small baby into the temple to be dedicated to God, Simeon is about to say publicly there in the temple for all to hear who the Savior really is. The Bible tells us something interesting of Simeon. It says that the Holy Spirit was upon him and then he came in the Spirit into the temple. When it says he came in the spirit into the temple, it means that the Holy Spirit of God led him into the temple at this specific moment on this specific day when it just happened to be that Mary and Joseph were also coming into the temple to dedicate their child to God. Psalm 37 verse 23 reminds us of a very important principle in our life and it says this, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord and he, the Lord, delights in his way. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. That does not mean that every step will make sense to you. That does not mean that you're gonna like every step that you take along the way. But it does mean when you are walking with God, God will order your steps for his divine purposes and reasons. Now, let me give an illustration of that that I wasn't planning to share this morning, but I wanna share it with you because it's how God worked in my life recently. Usually when I begin my time with the Lord in the mornings, when I get up, have my cup of coffee, grab my Bible, go to the kitchen table, literally the very first thing I'll pray is, Lord, thank you for this day. And I'll ask God, God, would you lead me in your word to see what you want me to see? Show me what you want me to do. Show me what you want to change. Grow me in whatever ways. But God, would you show me what you want me to do? And I'll read, read, read my time in God's word. And when I close that time of reading, I will almost always pray, God, would you direct my steps today? Show me who you want me to talk to. Show me what you want me to do. Would you direct my steps today? And a few weeks ago, God did that in a really unique way. I, I had been here in town and I had been searching for a specific Christmas gift that was a large Christmas gift, but I was looking to purchase it used. And I had found the gift that I was looking for in Waynesboro, Virginia, of course, not too far from here. And it just so happened that that coming weekend, I also had a basketball game to attend in Stanton. So I orchestrated the details to where I could go to that game. But before going to that game, I could go over to these people's house and I could look at this specific Christmas gift. I didn't know anything about the people selling it. I didn't know anything about their background. I made a phone call. We made the arrangements. And sure enough, we went towards Waynesboro. This is my daughter, Lane, and I. We go to Waynesboro, Virginia. We walk into this house and 
and I'm looking at this gift and I'm determining this is the perfect thing I wanna get, but it's a large gift, so I need to make arrangements now and come back later to actually pick it up. And so in the process of communication, the, uh, the lady there, the house asked me, so what is it that you do? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And she said, really? About the time her husband walks into the room, they're an older couple, and I find out that he is a retired Pentecostal pastor. And so uh, we began having conversation. Can I just say to you that in the midst of life and the busyness of the season and all those different things, this was like one of those God-ordained divine moments. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but we basically stayed there for the next 30 to 45 minutes and had church right there in the living room, okay? I mean, literally, the time ended, they shared some of the things they'd been going through and, and I shared some of the things that I'd been going through and, and we just prayed together. I mean, literally, by the time we left, I don't know that there was a dry eye in the living room. It was just a God moment. I left their house. I made it to the basketball game late. I watched the basketball game. Uh, my daughter Gracie now and Lane and I, we load up in the vehicle. We go to leave. The girls are saying, hey, I'm hungry. So we decided we're gonna stop by the Christian chicken, Chick-fil-A in Stanton, Okay. <laughs> We drive through the drive-thru because you can't go inside and eat. We order, and I decided of all the harebrained ideas that I had at Christmas time, I'm gonna eat a healthy dinner tonight, so I ordered salad. So having ordered salad, as I get my meal, I'm realizing, you know, I can't eat salad and drive at the same time, so I should pull over to the parking lot and park. I pull into the parking lot and park, put it in drive, I'm determined I'm wasting gas, so I turn the thing off and I sit there and eat my salad. We're probably there 15 minutes. And then I go to crank it up. As soon as I hit the gas to reverse, I noticed that the vehicle felt a little funny. I pulled it to the stop sign. Again, it feels like there might be water in the gas. I mean, just kind of something's weird about it. I hit the gas one time to leave and instantly the vehicle basically lost all power. Like there was no gas feeding to the engine. And I just kind of rolled over to, I mean, it's not even really even the median. I was basically in the middle of the road behind Chick-fil-A and Stanton. And people are stopping, hey, could, do you need jumper cables? And I was, I have no idea. I called my faithful mechanic, Brother Randy Falls. Hey, what's going on? I told him what's going on. He said, Pastor, it sounds like a fuel pump. Now, I'm not a mechanic, but if you tell me a fuel pump, I know this can't be good. So he, let, he says, Pastor, you're dead in the water. If it's a fuel pump, nothing's gonna work. And so I said, can you go ahead and get a tow truck coming? So the tow truck's on its way. I call Heather. Hey, we can't fit in the tow truck. I need you to come get us. So all this is all happening. About 15 minutes later, a guy pulls up in a pickup truck hey, mister, you need help? I said, man, it's a fuel pump. There's nothing you can do. He said, well, here, let's at least push it out of the way. His girlfriend gets out of the, their truck. She drinks in the passenger seat. I never even met her before. She gets in the driver's seat. We push this thing back into Bojangles and he pops the hood. He said, you mind if I take a look? I said, do you know what you're doing? He said, I used to run a shop in Florida before I moved here two years ago. He, he opens the hood. He's checking my fuse box. He said, you mind if I reset your codes? I'm like, who are you, Inspector Gadget? Like, what in the world? He reaches behind the driver's seat. He pulls out, you know, I, I'm not a mechanic. He pulls out one of the computers. He plugs it in. He reroutes everything. He's like, listen, I think it's a fuel pump issue, but as long as you don't stop, you should be able to get home tonight. And I was like, man, this is great. We sat outside the truck. We talked for about 10 minutes and ended up talking about the Lord and talking about church. And my prayer is that the Lord will bring them here very, very soon. In fact, 30 minutes later, I was able to text him back and say, hey man, thanks so much for your help. You were a good Samaritan to me tonight. I made it back home safely. By the way, we wanna see you at church soon. He said, you know, by the way, he said, we've been sitting here eating at Chick-fil-A, my, my, my girlfriend and I, and all we can talk about is where we're supposed to be in church next Sunday. So Pastor, what are you saying? What I'm saying is that when you want, honor God and seek to walk with God, even the, even the hiccups, even the interruptions, even the pauses, any even the breaks, even when you got away, even the things you don't like, God is working and moving. It is a great reminder to us that when you're walking with God, he ordains your steps, even the ones that you may not have planned or even understand. Simeon is on his way into the temple. 
And just by chance, on the same day, and the same moment, here come Mary and Joseph bringing in baby Jesus. Can you imagine? God had told Simeon, Simeon, before you die, you are going to meet the Savior of the world. And I imagine almost every day, Simeon is looking and longing and waiting. He knew the prophecies. When's the child that was born in Bethlehem going to be here? When's the child that was born of the virgin? When's the child that is Emmanuel, God with us? When's the savior of the world? And suddenly that day as they're coming into the temple, the Holy Spirit of God says, Simeon, this is the one. This is the one. Simeon immediately makes his way over towards Mary and Joseph. He takes Jesus into his arms. I can only imagine the wonder of that moment, the tears in his eyes, the shakiness in his voice as he holds Jesus in his arms and he declares, now, Lord, you're declaring, now, Lord, you're releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. It's like Simeon is in this moment saying, hallelujah, God, you promised to send your savior and here he is, the time has come, the wait is over, good news has been fulfilled. Simeon confirms that Jesus alone is the Savior. The second thing I want you to see then is the clarification of salvation. The fact of the matter is, is that in the midst of all the news that we hear, in the midst of all the details of our life, it is so easy to get things confused and be unclear about things. I imagine if I were to ask you, tell me some of the things that you did last Monday and Tuesday of last week, my guess is, is that you would have a hard time figuring out the details of all that because a lot of life happens between last Monday and Tuesday to today, for example. God doesn't want us to be uncertain. He's given us a word of clarification. I think about how easy it is to get things confused. I'm reminded of the Sunday school teacher one day that was a Sunday after Christmas and she was teaching her class about the Magi that came from afar to worship Jesus and how they brought gifts. And so she taught the lesson before. And so she asked the kids to get them engaged. Can anybody tell me what gifts the Magi brought to Jesus? And little Johnny raised his hand. He was absolutely confident he knew the answer. He said, oh, teacher, that's easy. She said, go ahead, Johnny. What gifts did the Magi bring? He said, it was so wonderful. They brought gold, Frankensteins, and Smurfs. <laughs> little Johnny was confused, wasn't he? It's easy for us to get that way. God says, listen, I've got a word through Simeon. I've got a word of clarification that I want everyone to hear. He's already confirmed that this Now, Lord, you are releasing your servant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. The only way to heaven, the only way to experience God's grace, the only way to be rescued from our sins, your salvation is Jesus. Listen to this. Which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Pause for just a moment. He first says that this gift of salvation, this savior has been prepared in the presence of all peoples. Some would say, I don't even know if Jesus even lived or died. He's a fictitious story. He's something that the religious people made up. Please understand, when Simeon says, you have prepared this in the presence of all peoples, he is saying, this is undisputable. Some will say, well, salvation is just a matter of faith. It is true you're only saved by faith, but please understand, it is faith that rests on facts. For, for example, there were eyewitnesses of the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin and laid in a manger. 
Think of uh, of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Think of Joseph's testimony himself. Think of the shepherds who came to to the manger that day. Think of the magi who came from afar to offer their gifts. They will testify that Jesus was indeed born. Think of all the people that could testify that Jesus actually lived. Think of the people who, who, who were experiencing miracles. The blind received sight. The lame began to walk. The dead were raised to life. Not only that, think about the people who hated him. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, Pilate, the Roman governor, they could all verify and testify to the fact that Jesus indeed, indeed lived his life. They could also testify to the fact that he died. He didn't just come here to be a baby and then to raise into a, to grow into a man. He came here to, and he grew into a man. He lived a sinless life and then he died. Think of all the people, the entire crowd that chanted, crucify him, crucify. They all give testimony to the fact that he indeed died. Pilate could testify to the fact that Jesus died for after all, he did look at them and say, this, this man's blood's not on my hands. They would all testify to that. Even Mary could testify as Jesus is there on the cross and he could basically look at her and John and say, woman, behold your son. What he's saying in that moment is, and he's saying to John, behold your mother. He's saying, listen, take care of my mom. They testify to that, that Jesus indeed died. Think of the Roman guards. They were experts, frankly, in crucifixion. They were very much aware that he lived and that he died. But that wasn't the end of the story. They put him in a tomb and three days later, he rose again from the grave. And after he rose again from the grave, he appeared to the Marys on that first day of the week. He went to the the, the upper room. He appeared to the disciples. On another occasion, he appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses at one time. There is more public proof of the resurrection of Jesus than there is proof that you're sitting in this building right now. There's not 500 people in this room. So the, what I'm saying is, when Simeon says this, you have prepared this in the presence of all the peoples. He's literally saying, this is an undeniable, indisputable fact. Jesus came, he was born, he lived, he died, he rose again, and it's public for all to see and to hear. But then he tells us something else, frankly, that was so provocative in that culture that it would bring consequence, most likely upon Simeon. Here's what he says. This salvation... This savior is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The the, the greatest thing about the Jews, the glory of the people, Israel, is that God himself would become man and dwell among us and provide a way for salvation that the savior of the world would come through the Jews. But notice what he says, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Please remember this morning that the Jews in biblical times absolutely despised the Gentiles, despised them. Please also remember this morning that the majority of us here today, I would guess most likely, are Gentiles. Most of us here today did not grow up, we're not born into a Jewish family. We are Gentiles. A savior to be born. Now the Jews believed in that. A Messiah to one day come. Even though the Jews had forgotten and were looking for other things, they still kind of held on to that. They knew that God had promised to send a savior to rescue and redeem them. But a savior for the Gentiles? That's a totally different subject. 
the Jews treated the Gentiles really like Jonah treated the Ninevites. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. The Jews didn't want anything to do with the Gentiles. And so what's happening in this moment, when Simeon declares God has sent his savior into the world, Simeon declares that this savior has come to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. The lowly, despised, rejected, hated Gentiles. In fact, this statement was so profound, it is interesting to note that Jewish tradition records that sometime after this, and yet before Simeon's death, Simeon was completely shunned from the temple. Why? We're never told. What was the cause? We're never told. It's interesting to me that a righteous, devout, godly man with the Holy Spirit is upon would now be shunned from the temple sometime after he reveals that this Savior has come not just for the Jews, but to be Savior for the Gentiles. You know what the Bible's showing us? The Bible's showing us that this clarification of salvation is this. It is not only for the Jews, it is for all. Every nation, every people, regardless of race, regardless of background, regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you've been, regardless of nationality, regardless of it all, Jesus came to be the Savior for all. And that includes, thank God, you and me. No wonder John 3, 16 and 17 would sit this way. For God so loved the what? The world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever, that's you, that's me, believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The clarification of that savior and of salvation is simply this. This gift of salvation is offered not only to the Jews, not just to the religious Pharisees, so to speak, but he came to offer salvation to all who will believe and receive him by faith. Third thing I want you to see this morning is this. It is the cost of salvation. The Bible tells us in verse 33 that his father, Mary and Joseph and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. I can only imagine what they experienced as parents. If you're a parent here this morning, you know that there are very few moments of greater pride and enjoyment than, than when someone says something kind and encouraging and blessing over your children. As my children are growing and getting older, there are times that someone might compliment them or someone might commend them for, for the way they've served the Lord or the way they've led in worship or something that they've done that was an encouragement. And as a, as a parent, it is, a, it is a blessing when someone speaks those words of blessing or praise over your children. I imagine in this moment, Mary and Joseph are just stunned. Like, they're just taking it all in in amazement. This child that God has entrusted to them is going to be the savior of the world. The Jews, the Gentiles, all of them. But then things are gonna take a sudden turn in the next verse. The Bible says, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. Now, now let me just pause and kind of put that in our, our vernacular illustration today. Oftentimes here at Crosslink, we will have a service for family dedication. 
Traditionally, in Baptist settings, people would call it baby dedication. And that is when parents come forward or a parent comes forward and they bring their child publicly and they commit to raise their child in the ways that honor God. Scripturally, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We call it family dedication because it's parents really dedicating themselves to honor this child in the way that honors God, to raise this child in a way that honors God. Could you imagine if a young couple came out and they're bringing their child, their firstborn son, and they bring their child to dedicate him publicly before God? And could you imagine if, as a pastor, if I took that child in my arms and, and held him and just admired for a moment and then said, your child is going to be hated by all. Your child is going to be rejected by the very people he loves. Your child is going to suffer and die the most cruel and painful of deaths. Congratulations. Y'all, literally, y'all would look at me like I was the most cruel, mad, ridiculous, heinous pastor ever. I imagine people would be calling for a business meeting before the service. Man, we're gonna change this thing up, man. He's not much of an edifier, I'll tell you what, right now. You know what Simeon's doing? Simeon's holding Jesus in his arms and he thanks God. God, thank you for your salvation. This light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people. This savior came for all the world. And as Mary and Joseph are sitting there taking it in, he looks them in the eyes and says, this child is appointed for the rise and fall of many and for a sign to be opposed. Your son will be rejected by the very people he loves. Your son will be opposed by them. He will be rejected by them. They will mock him. They will ridicule him. The very people who are his own, who should love him and take care of him, they will despise and reject him. I believe the Bible showing us loud and clear in this moment what Simeon is prophesying of is this. He's prophesying of the fact that literally Jesus came into the world. He came, he's the true light. He came into this dark world, but many rejected him, frankly, because they didn't want him. He wasn't the type of savior they were looking for. They wanted a king to come set up a throne. They wanted someone to get rid of the Romans. They wanted someone to rule by force. What they failed to see is that God was sending his son into the world to be a savior, to be the king, to be the ruler, to be the leader over men's hearts and to be over men's lives. That's why in John chapter three, verses 19 to 20, the Bible tells us this. This is the judgment that light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So often some of us say, well, I just can't accept this about Jesus. I just can't believe this about Jesus. When in reality, what they're really saying is, I just wanna live for myself. I don't wanna give an account of my life before God. I don't wanna have to think about what to do with Jesus. The reality is Jesus, came to his own. He proved who he is. He proved he is who he says he was. His life, his words, his miracles, all of it point to the fact that he alone is the savior and yet so many rejected him. In fact, as he says this statement, he's assigned to be opposed. This would all come to a great boiling point in Matthew chapter 27. Jesus lived a sinless life and there he is before the crowd. He's being examined by Pilate and listen to what the Bible says. Pilate said, what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ, who is called the Savior? What should I do with your Savior? And the crowd said what? Crucify him. 
He said, why, Pilate did, the Roman governor, what evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more saying, crucify him. And Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting. He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And listen to the way that Jesus was opposed and rejected by his own people. And all the people said, his blood shall be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas for them, but after having Jesus scourged, he, scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. He said, Pastor, what are you saying? I am saying to you what, what uh, Simeon is prophesying in this moment is simply this. He's saying, this child of yours, Mary and Joseph, he's gonna be opposed. He's gonna be rejected. He's gonna be crucified. In other words, Jesus ultimately came knowing the sacrifice knowing the rejection and willingly lay down his life for you and for me so that we could be rescued from our sin, we could be saved. The cost of salvation. But there's a second part of this cost that I want us to think about for just a moment today. Please understand this morning, there is only one cost sufficient for paying for our sins. The Bible said all of sin and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. In order for a payment to be sufficient, even in the sacrifice of the Old Testament, it had to be a pure spotless lamb. Remember, Jesus was the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Only Jesus's cost, only Jesus's payment was sufficient for paying for our sins. But make no mistake about it. The sacrifice that Christ would make would also cause pain to someone else. Notice what continues on as Simeon declares. And Mary, verse 35, Mary, I want you to know something. A sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Can you imagine the thought? We know that this was a bitter cup for Jesus to bear. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane knowing that his time had come. He's about to be taken into this illegal trial, falsely accused and crucified. And Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane, let this cup pass from me. We understand the bitterness of that cup for him. But I think what the Bible is showing us here is that this is also a very bitter pill for Mary. It was painful. Could, could you imagine as a parent, I, just to be honest with you, I, I cannot imagine as a parent watching my child suffer like that. As a parent, if God were to say, this is, this is the sacrifice that's required of your child, I would literally be looking to God and say, God, please, no, anybody, let me take their place. Let me take it. Do whatever you want, but please spare them, God. What God is showing us in this moment is that God's plan of salvation for the world ultimately cost Jesus his life as he willingly gave his life on the cross but it also meant discomfort and pain for Mary. I think we need to be reminded of that today. In our day today, frankly, even in the church, we often live in so much comfort. We think little about the discomfort that is required in order for us to be the witness God's called us to be. Oh, oh yeah, we, we know that there are people in the world who need Jesus, but somebody else can do that. We know that there's 2.2 billion people in the world that have never heard the name of Jesus, but we're content to stay comfortable within our four walls. 
Many times as Christians, we get so caught up talking about the second coming of Christ. When's Jesus gonna come again? What are the signs throughout the world? When's the trumpet gonna sound? When the fact of the matter is over two billion people are not even aware that he came the first time. Sometimes we need to be reminded that it's not about our comfort, but it's about the salvation of the lost. It's about the salvation of those around us. And as a result of that, we must be willing to put aside our complacency and our comfort to do whatever it would take to bring the good news to others. One thing I love about Mary in the scriptures is this. When you read through the gospel of counts, even though she knew, even though she knew that the sacrifice of the world, of the salvation of the world, meant the sacrifice of her son. Not one time do we find her saying no. She's faithful. She's submitted. She's trusting God's plan and willing to do whatever it would take because she knew the greatest need for all mankind was salvation. In other words, God's plan for her meant personal pain, but she willingly surrendered and trusted God's plan. I love how author John Bloom said it. Listen to this statement. As God works out his salvation of sinners, he leads us oftentimes along unexpected paths that result in unexpected and sometimes agonizing pain. Anybody ever been there before? When it does, we can remember Mary The darkest moment of her life, the sword that stabbed deepest into her soul was the moment that God used most to bring salvation and joy to the world and to her. And that's how he works with us too. When the sword pierces, it feels like a terrible pain, but later we discover that our deepest wounding often becomes the channel through which the most profound grace Flows. Listen to the last part of that statement. When the sword pierces, it feels like a terrible pain, but later we discover that our deepest wounding often becomes the channel through which the most profound grace flows. Final thing I want you to see and we'll be dismissed is this. I want you to see then the call of the Savior. The clarification, Jesus came to save all. That includes you, that includes me, and it includes every single person outside of these walls. He came to be the Savior of all. Praise God for that. But I'm thankful even in the midst of that, we see the cost. Mary had to be willing in this moment to let go of her wants for God's will to be done so that salvation could come to the world. But the final thing we see is a call of salvation. Immediately after Simeon declares the pain that Mary herself would experience, the Bible tells us a lady by the name of Anna, a prophetess came up. Anna was an older lady. She had been a widow for many years and she had been serving in the temple, fasting and praying, looking and longing for the day the Savior would come. Verse 38, at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. In this moment, Anna comes up and she begins to recognize this is the savior of the world. And here's what she does. She goes from private fastings and prayers to now publicly proclaiming for all as the prophetess, this is the savior. Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the Messiah. He came to save you. He is our hope. He is our peace. He is our joy. This is salvation. You know what I'm convinced of? Anna's ministry is summed up really in one simple word, one simple verse. But here's what I'm convinced. I'm convinced that our mission today is the same that Anna demonstrated. That once we meet Jesus, we immediately tell all. 
Once we meet Jesus, we begin to point others to Jesus as the savior of the world. Anna knew that there was one hope for the Jews and that was the Messiah. And she declared for them there in the temple that day, our Messiah, our savior is here. Pastor, how does that all relate to me today? Here's how it relates. Simeon said, here is salvation. Jesus is the light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. But it brings about an interesting question. If Jesus came to give light and to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles, how in the world would that message get to the Gentiles if they were so hated by the Jews? I mean, Jesus was born a Jew. He was raised as a Jew. He gave his life on the cross as a Jew. He rose again. All this time, he was a Jew. How is the gospel message going to get to the Gentiles if the Jews hate the Gentiles? Well, the answer is simple. Somebody had to be willing to go. Somebody had to be willing to leave their comfort zone and their culture and their conveniences to be willing to go and take the good news. No wonder then Jesus commissioned the disciples with these words in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. No wonder Jesus would say in Acts chapter one, verse eight, you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth. What's he doing? He's commissioning his followers to go into all the world. By the way, what is our mission today? Romans 10 says it loud and clear. Verse 13, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. There is salvation for all who call upon Jesus today. But listen to the commission but how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Somebody said, oh, pastor, that's your, I know. The idea of preacher here is for all of us. It's anyone who's going and proclaiming the good news. And how will they preach unless they're sent? For just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. In other words, Christian, the message of salvation for all might have began in the temple in Luke 2, but it was never meant to stay in the temple in Luke 2. It's so easy to come week in and week out, serve God, praise God, honor God in the context of these four walls. But do you know the greatest place that message of salvation is intended to go? It's intended to go outside of these walls. Yes, we fellowship. Yes, we worship God. Yes, we encourage one another. Yes, we edify one another. Yes, we serve the Lord. Yes, that's so important. But please understand, when we gather here in these gatherings on Sundays, this is meant to be a launching pad so that when we leave here, we go out and we tell the good news that Jesus came, the Savior is here. He can forgive, he can save, he can cleanse all who will believe in him. That is the mission of the good news. Like the video Gotta tell the good news. Gotta tell the good news. Gotta tell the good news. Christian, our calling is to share the good news with others. All over the building, will you bow your heads with me today? Father God, I pray right now that you would give us clarity with what you would want us to do with this message. Lord, knowing that your word is always given for our transformation, that we would be changed by your presence. 
God, would you show us right now how you would have us to respond? I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.